Welcome to Is It Horror? I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I'm Steve. And if you haven't joined us before at Is It Horror, basically what we do is we overthink pieces of media and analyze it and try and figure out if we think it qualifies as horror. Mostly we've done movies. We're going to cover a movie tonight that's based on a book, so we'll probably talk at least a little bit about the book here and there. But uh, in the future, hopefully we'll do some things beyond just movies as well. We've got some plans for that in the future, so stick with us. The movie that we are going to be covering tonight is Coraline from 2009. It was directed and written by Henry Selick, and it is based on the novella by Neil Gaiman. And I'm always not sure if it's Gaiman or Gaiman. I'm sh- I'll probably get it wrong no matter what, but I don't know. How do it you guys weigh sure in on Gaiman. that? Totally Gaiman. Yeah, Gaiman. Okay, cool. Well, here's a little bit of background, I guess, on both of those things. So the book that it's based on was written in 2002, or at least released in 2002. I guess he'd been working on it for a little while. Uh, Neil Gaiman said that the inspiration for that came from his daughter always asking to want to uh, help, basically wanted to help him while he was writing. And so she'd always suggest these stories of little girls like herself being snatched up by witches that were pretending to be their mothers. And that seemed to be of real interest to her as far as stories go. And so he started looking around to see if he could find books like that, stories like that, that he could share with her. And upon not being able to find any, decided, well, you know, I'm a writer. I'll just, I'll write a story like that. So he went ahead putting that together. Uh, Another kind of anecdote that he had about that is that he had originally typed Caroline or meant to type Caroline, but had a typo that came out as Coraline and of course turned that into a joke in the book. But he said once he saw uh, the exact quote is I typed the name Caroline and it came out wrong. I looked at the word Coraline and I knew it was someone's name and I wanted to know what happened to her. And so that's kind of where that name comes from. Uh, Henry Selick, who directed and wrote this, he is also the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, as well as James and the Giant Peach. He had worked with Tim Burton at Disney, and that's kind of how he got involved with Nightmare Before Christmas. And also his work on that movie and James and the Giant Peach, or why Neil Gaiman specifically wanted either him or Tim Burton to produce the movie. So there's just a little bit of background about how that came to be. As far as Neil Gaiman, he's done so many things and so prolific. I guess I'll mention some of his works in case you're not familiar with him. Uh, He wrote Stardust, American Gods, The Graveyard Book, uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Uh, He co-wrote Good Omens with Terry Pratchett. Some of those things have been obviously made into other media. So Stardust has been made into a movie and American Gods and Good Omens were made into TV shows. Aside from that, he'd also written for the movie Mirror Mask and Beowulf. Uh, He's written episodes of Doctor Who, comics. Of course, almost everyone who knows Neil Gaiman knows Sandman. For my personal taste, I'm a huge fan of his work on Miracle Man. It's kind of an older thing. I guess one of the things that would be kind of curious to hear is what's all of your relationships to Neil Gaiman? I am trying to think what my first... I don't know exposure to Neil Gaiman was. I think it. I think honestly, it probably was Sandman, because we went to that. Was it Golden Eagle? Where did you work at that? 
Was that where you were? Yeah, that was Golden Eagle. I'm pretty sure that's the first that's the first place that I picked up Sandman. Sandman. I can't talk tonight. Um and then of course I went on to read Good Omens. Um Neverwhere Neverwhere is another fun one that I like. So, yeah. Got a little bit of everything. So for me, I guess I uh, I like Neil Gaiman, but I haven't actually read a bunch of his stuff. I really want to, but a lot of my exposure has just been some of the like uh, movie and show adaptations, like Stardust and and Coraline and things like that. I yeah, I am wanting to get more into his stuff. Uh, my first exposure was Sandman. Also, I had a buddy of mine where we. We're exchanging comics in high school, and I gave him a bunch of Invincible trades, and he gave me Sandman trades, and uh, that's how I started reading his stuff. Also a big fan of the movie Stardust, which just is a great movie, so that's a me. I've actually never read a Neil Gaiman book. I really only knew him from Doctor Who, to be honest. I knew he had tons of stuff out, but um, I yeah, I've only ever related to him from Doctor Who and his wife. His wife is one of my favorite Amazing. musical artists. I love her. She's badass. Uh, for me, weirdly enough, if anyone's ever read this, my first real introduction to Neil Gaiman was when I was working at Golden Eagle Comic Shop, and he was doing a miniseries at Marvel called Marvel 1602, and it was basically about... Uh, what if Captain America had woken up in the year 1602 and all of the changes in the course, there's like analogs of all the modern Marvel heroes during that time period. And then you find out that it's not an alternate take on it, that it's actually supposed to be within continuity. Anyway, I don't know that I think it's necessarily one of his best works, but then later a friend of mine gave me a copy of American Gods. And so I read through that and I don't know, it seemed like there's always people popping in my life that were like, here, read this thing. Oh, it's by Neil Gaiman. And I won't say that I've read a ton of his stuff, but almost everything that I've read of his, it's always kind of like, here's a recommendation. Oh, surprise, surprise. It's Neil Gaiman again. So, but I've always enjoyed the things of his that I've checked out. I'm going to take back my response and say that that's actually not the first time that I heard Neil Gaiman's name. First time I learned who Neil Gaiman was, uh, was because I was listening to an album by Tori Amos, and she references him in several songs. So think, I think that that's probably what prompted me to look into him further, actually. That's pretty cool. I haven't listened to Tori Amos as much, but that's kind of fun. Throwback. Aw, yeah. Okay, so the other I... thing, just in re- go ahead, you go ahead. No, never mind. It was just going to be a stupid joke. You know, I'll save it for later. We live for those. Oh, okay. Well, you feel free to make all the stupid jokes you like. So the thing that I found while kind of researching a little bit for this that surprised me, because I've honestly never took the time to consider it before, is you always see The Nightmare Before Christmas or often see it listed as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And so in my head, all these years, I've been under the assumption that he wrote and or directed it and was surprised to find out that he didn't write or direct it. It's based off a poem that he created, but he didn't. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to find out that he didn't direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. I would have never thought that. Same. 
it's the sort of thing I thought would have come up before because uh, Matt and my sister is super into a nightmare before the nightmare before Christmas. And I, I don't know, it's, I expect her to be spouting trivia about it constantly, but she doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about it, at least not with me. Yeah, we have secret conversations, her and I, where we don't include you and we talk all about it. <laughs> I assume everyone Scandalous. does because I am just a board who include in conversations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, to bore everyone further, I will go ahead and give a brief description of Coraline so we can talk about whether we think it's horror. So uh, the story center rounds, centers around Coraline, who her and her two parents move to a new home that's an older home that's been split up into different apartments. And uh, she you know, clearly cares about her parents, but has kind of a confrontational relationship with them. They're trying to get work done and they're finding her to, you know, she's a bored kid. So she's looking for things to do constantly and not having, not being able to entertain herself as much as she wants. So they keep telling her, Hey, just go look around the house or do something seriously, get out of our hair. So she is looking around the house. She's counting things that she sees in the house at her dad's suggestion. And she finds a door and eventually finds a key to it. And initially, when she opens the door, it's just a brick wall behind it, because it was obviously a door that used to go to the other apartment that's been walled off. But one time it opens and it goes to a mirrored apartment of the one that she currently lives in. And in that apartment is a person that looks exactly like her mother, who calls herself the other mother, and she looks identical to her mother, except for that she has button eyes. And there is another father there who also has button eyes. And everyone that she has encountered that lives at the actual apartment complex has a other button eyed doppelganger through the doorway. And so at first it seems fun because these parents, the other parents, they're excited and happy to spend time with her and do fun things. And there's all these interesting things and they seem to you know, react to her the way that she wants them to. And uh, that's fine for a little while, but things get creepier and creepier as they go on. And it's clear that the other mother is the thing in control of this world that she's found and that she wants to keep her for nefarious purposes, which, sorry if I haven't said already, but big spoiler warning, as always, on the movie that we're talking about. So eventually she realizes that the other mother is sort of trapping and feeding on children and has been doing that for quite some time. And uh, she's able to trick the other mother into a competition where she is able to rescue the souls of the previously trapped children as well as her now kidnapped parents. And eventually she's able to get rid of the key to the door as well because a piece of the other mother has come across and is trying to get it to open the portal back up again. So anyway, I'm sure that is a perfectly inadequate description of the story. So how did everybody feel about this? Do we think that it's horror? I struggled with this because this breaks two of my rules. Uh, I don't believe in kids horror movies and I don't believe in happy horror endings with the exception of comedy horror or horror comedy, whatever. But having watched this movie countless times through my adulthood, and having watched it again and also uh, listened to the audiobook, which, ooh, should have done that like 10 years ago. 
I'm going to make a change for 2022, and I'm going to say that this is horror, and it is children's horror. Uh, so for my side, I I did struggle with this one a little bit too for various reasons. I'm sure we'll get into. I I think like it's it's got a lot of creepy surface stuff, but uh, it's not. I don't know. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, I guess. But I do think I, I will call this children's horror. I do. I think that children's horror is a thing, and I I think this qualifies as that. Um, so yeah, that's my vote. Children's horror, yes. I think that this is horror, maybe just regular horror, but I, I am also sort of leaning towards it just being kind of fantasy. For example, if anybody's seen the movie The Page Master, there were like a lot of scary elements to that, but I didn't feel... Like, as an adult watching it, I don't feel like that was meant to be a horror movie. There were just things that scared me in it. And I kind of feel like Coraline has that same sort of tone where I am... It's like kind of like this fantasy journey, but there are things that are meant to scare me along the way. But the overall tone, I don't feel like is a horror tone. Uh, this is the first time I'm coming into a podcast recording not having any leaning either way that's very strong i'm pretty much on the fence still so i was sort of hoping that after listening to everyone's takes that by the end of this episode i have an answer because i currently don't have a strong opinion either way so with this one i'd mentioned in our gremlins episode that i thought that children's horror could could be a thing but i wasn't as sure about and that i thought if there was something that existed that was children's horror that I would say that Coraline was probably the best candidate for that. Or at least I think I mentioned it as one of those things. And maybe I'm misremembering entirely. You can go back and listen to it and check out the Gremlins episode. Plug. Anyhow, I think that after thinking about this a while and kind of dissecting it, that I've decided that this, this is horror. I think it is a good example of children's horror and that that can be a thing. And of course we can go into why that is in just a moment. I have a question for everybody. What is the darkest or scariest moment you guys have had or come across in a Pixar or Disney movie? So I can start off by telling you the parts of movies that scared me the most as a child. Uh, so I mentioned the page master earlier. If anybody's ever seen that one, I believe that's Macaulay Culkin in that. I could be wrong. Nope, you are absolutely correct. Okay, so um, there were some elements in that movie that as a child I was very scared of. Like, um, I believe there's like a graveyard. Um, and then there's like, the one book is horror. And it actually in the movie it talks about how he's meant to like overcome his fear in that moment. And that really scared me as a kid. The other one, which we kind of talked about before, was the ghost of Christmas yet to come and the Muppet Christmas Carol really frightened me as a kid. I also was frightened of Marley and Marley as a kid in that movie. <laughs> I had to laugh at you. I mean, I was easily scared of things. <laughs> um, so those are the ones that I, I remember being scared of some. But yeah, that's that's my those are my examples. 
my mind immediately goes to the scene in Toy Story where all the Sid's toys come to life. And then you've got Spider Baby and the fishing pole with legs. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you think about that those are sentient things and they got torn apart and then put back together. Right. See my previous tirade on Toy Story. I have so many questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't remember what episode that is for anyone who's listening. Like, what about Toy Story? I'm sorry. I just, I'm not coming up with it. It's whatever one that you went on the tirade on Liar Liar for. Uh, I want to say that was the um, uh, killing of a sacred deer. That sounds right. So you can find that tirade on the killing of a sacred deer recording. I feel like there were a lot of good tirades on that episode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that whole episode was a tirade. Pretty much. But anyway, I'm still trying to think of mine. I don't know if anybody else has anything in mind as far as the Pixar Disney scariest moments thing. I remember being, I don't know, I was Team Ursula in uh, Little Mermaid, obviously. However, those eels of hers creeped me out. That's the only Disney movie I remember, because um, I usually root for the villain. I do, however, remember being about like five years old and seeing the Black Cauldron, and for some reason mm. that scared the shit out of me. So I kind of relate to the whole um, take on like Page Master. That was kind of my thing as well. It was a fantasy movie, action adventure, but it had like a spooky, scary element to it. Yeah, Black Cauldron was on my list too. <laughs> Yay! That's when I think I have a little bit of a hard time trying to think of a good moment that scared me as a kid from some of those. Um, Pixar started hitting as a thing when I was maybe a little bit too old to concern myself with it because I thought I was too cool to watch Disney movies. It went through a bit of a phase with that. So even if they did come out when I was young enough, I might not have watched them. Like once I turned 16, I was like, I'm not watching Disney anymore. I'm an adult. So I guess the best I can say is looking back and I have, I couldn't tell you anything specific about it anymore, but I have vague recollections of finding things in the dark, in uh, the black cauldron creepy as well, but I really can't remember anything specifically anymore. One that I was just remembering too was Pinocchio. There was like some really scary moments oh, yeah. in Pinocchio. There's yeah. straight up body horror in it, really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got some weird moments. I remember being a little bit scared in different parts as a kid. Yeah, I remember the ending being very scary to me when he goes to the island. Yeah. I hated that part. Yeah, for sure. For me, I I kind of started thinking about this because like I I do think Coraline is a a kids horror movie, um but like I feel like there there are a lot of dark things there, but I'm not sure that it has that many more dark things than some uh, Pixar and Disney movies. And I think there is a difference, and I'll, I'll get to that. But I guess just as a couple examples that I came up with, and, and some of these are dark, just dark, not necessarily scary. Some of them are scary. For example, just in like Finding Nemo, when like mom's when Nemo's mom gets eaten by a barracuda, like that's pretty dark for a kids movie. Well, that's the whole Bambi thing, too. Sure, yeah, Bambi, exactly. Like, it's the same deal. Like, your parent gets murdered. Like, yeah, it, that's right along that same line. 
<clears throat> excuse me, right along that same line for sure. And then like in Toy Story, Toy Story 3, when they're all about to get incinerated, this one, so Monsters, Inc. is definitely like a happy, feel-good movie, but on the underside of it, it is about monsters feeding off of the fears of children. So, like, there's there's some stuff there. There's some layers there. And there's a whole bunch of others that I've come up with. Oh, one I thought that was partic particularly potent was in Ratatouille when he comes across the, like, a whole bunch of dead rats being hung up um, in the, like, poison rat, the, the area with oh, all the poisoned yeah. rats. It's like, that's pretty dark when your main character is a rat. So, uh, and then the, the one that I kind of came to that was maybe the most specifically related to Coraline was Brave. Because uh, in Brave, you've got this girl who doesn't get along with her parents, and she goes out and she... In Brave, you know, she gets the, like, cursed cake and, like, gives it to her mom, and her mom becomes this big, terrible bear. Then she has to, like, spend the movie, like, trying to uh, undo that. And that's not exactly, you know, there's there's a few sort of parallels to Coraline there. Like, she doesn't get along with her parents. She is choosing to go to the other world um, instead of staying with her parents. And anyways, there's consequences and all that. Anyways, the whole, my whole big tirade I guess is just like I f I don't feel like Coraline absolutely has darker tones than some of those movies do it's just presented in a darker way and I do think that it is more horror than the others but I I just thought that was an interesting thing I want to I want to get into this a little bit more but I want to hear your guys' thoughts on some of that but I think one of the things that for me made it a little more made me feel a little more uneasy is just that they chose to film it in stop motion for me that's always made things feel a little more uneasy um, anyways any thoughts on any of that sorry for rambling for a while I agree with the stop motion uh, take absolutely because yeah half of the creepiness is totally the aesthetic totally the animation totally the like the weird stilted movements of the characters and like the over exaggerated features. Um, are we counting? Is this technically a cartoon? Uh, I think so. I would say no because it's not oh. animated. I well, I mean, who knows it's if not I'm technically, right? That's just my. Opinion. I mean, I know nothing. Yeah. I think stop motion is uh, its own category. I believe. Okay. Like claymation, so we can, can stop motion. Claymation, kind of. Okay. Yeah, and and that in and of itself also makes it a kids' film for me. The fact that this is not live action, I think that if you took Coraline and made it live action, you might get something a little bit darker and creepier than, say, the Spiderwick Chronicles. But I may not classify that as horror. So, random fact: they were going to do this live action, and they were going to have Dakota Fanning at the time still play Cor. They were going to have her play Coraline, but then. I guess they decided they thought it would work better in animation, but they kept her on. But it was originally shut the be front live door. Action. They made a good choice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I was when I was watching this with Mitzi. I was saying like, just simply, the button eyes would make this terrifying in live action. D like discounting everything else that's weird about the movie. 
just the button eyes would make me super creeped out if it was live action. Oh, that would be like a totally audition-esque, like, ugh, 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 no. Has anyone seen Nightbreed? No. I don't think so. So, in Wait, Nightbreed, is that the things with the needle, the needle teeth? Maybe one of them had needle teeth, but I don't quite remember. The important factor, at least in my bringing it up, is so it's a Clive Barker story and the the movie, the way that it's set up is you've got all of these different monstrous creatures and they have kind of like their own society and their place where they're living where they just basically want to be left alone. And then you have these people trying to find them and one of them is played by Cronenberg and he plays a serial killer that has a mask that he puts on that's kind of like this weird burlap cloth sort of looking texture but it has button eyes on it and uh yeah so i'm just confirming that in the real world setting like it has a very good creepy vibe look to it so if ever yeah look up cronenberg nightbreed the character looks pretty awesome i've always thought so well what about also uh what's his name is it sam from trick-or-treat um there's also the little boy from the orphanage i feel like that's a very common theme in horror films like across you know different horror genres as well okay so let's lean into that idea because i'm curious to explore it a little bit further because there's always that concept that people have of eyes being the window to the soul we need to be able to look into someone's eyes to be able to connect with them so you're taking something that people expect in being able to relate to another living creature and then you're removing that and putting in place something that seems innocent and childlike, but because of where you're putting it, it's completely not. So kind of on the same line of thinking, um, the first time that in the movie that I really felt like things were starting to get terrifying was when the other mother introduces the, the other YB and he can't talk. Like she's made him mute. And to me, when that when they introduced that, at that moment I was like, okay, like I'm freaked out. But it was interesting because Coraline saw that as an improvement to him, which I thought was really funny because I was like, if I was in this situation and I just had this creepy smiling button eyed thing that's supposed to be my friend, I'd be pretty weirded out by it. <laughs> like it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's another thing tapping into it, because one of those things I was thinking about with the other YB, because I found him being quiet and always smiling with those button eyes also to be one of the more unnerving things in the film. But I think it goes to why a lot of people have problems with clowns, right? We know on a visceral level that humans aren't always happy, that constantly being happy is an unnatural thing. So whenever we encounter anything that does constantly seem happy it's unsettling which makes it ex extra creepy when she sews his mouth into a smile yeah big creeperness happening there that was awesome <laughs> going back to your button question i mean i was thinking how much do the button eyes actually contribute to whether or not this is horror because i was trying to imagine the movie exactly the same except in the other parallel universe, they just have regular eyes. 
and how much less disturbing that would be even when she turns into that spider thing the other mother turns into the metallic spider even then that would be less creepy if she had normal eyes and YB would be less creepy if he had normal eyes and was just smiling so I mean I feel like even though the button eyes are something small I think they contribute a lot to the horror factor and I wonder why that is I agree with that too. Yeah. I was just saying, it goes back to what Steve was saying about you needing to look into someone's eyes to have any kind of connection with them. Yeah. And I think it's like such a common horror trope to take the eyes off somebody and either sew them shut or, ha or like a lot of the most memorable horror movie moments that I can think of are like eye horror, you know, like zombie to like stuff like that where it's like eyes are decimated or eyes are sewn shut to me that's just very horrifying in general <laughs> i was also going to say that one of the more disturbing things to me in the film was it kind of reminded me of when you're a kid some of the scariest dreams that you have as a kid are like you're trying to go home but your house isn't there or you go into your house and your family's gone or something like that. Something with the feeling that you can't return to life as normal. And that feeling that I got as a kid was reflected in the movie Coraline. And I think, you know, as she's feel feeling that fear that she can't return back to her normal life, I think the eyes also have something to do with that. Because once you lose your eyes, you can no longer see the world as you used to see the, them too. And for a kid, I think... The idea of not of being taken away from your normal life and not being able to go back is pretty scary, so so it's almost kind of symbolic of this gestalt moment where you you know it's it's like those pictures where it can be either an old woman or a young woman, and you see it one way until someone points out the other way, and then as soon as you see the other way, it's hard to go back again, right, so it's almost like the movie is kind of hitting on this metaphor for losing well of course any i don't know any children's horror probably dabbles in this but the idea of losing innocence right is you have this innocent view of the world and then as soon as that's taken from you you can't see it as that way anymore well i think it also taps into a really human fear of you know your home with your family the one place where you're supposed to be safe suddenly is no longer safe at all first of all and then there's also the whole you know I hate my parents. Well, now my parents trying to sew buttons in my eyes and eat my face. So that's classic as well. And I guess the other thing that just comes to mind too, along with that, is that between the book and the movie, they kind of use the idea that the eyes and the souls are the same idea. Because you guys will have to correct me if I'm mm -hmm. wrong, having looked at mm -hmm. both. But in the movie she's specifically looking for their eyes is the way that she terms it correct and then in the mm -hmm. in the book she's looking it specifically says souls i believe not eyes but at least to me that says that the intent the interpretation there of uh Selick and gaiman is that yeah she took their eyes but she took their souls that's the implication that makes it scarier actually i don't know which would be scarier well, she's got the other children's souls trapped, basically, right? Um, she has to go save the other children. Mm -hmm. 
I think the movie kind of plays on the symbolism of doorways. And when we think about eyes being the window to the soul, she's passing through this doorway into this other dimension where everyone's eyes are different. And then these children are trapped because the door to their soul has been closed or locked. She has their eyes. So I think the movie definitely plays into that a lot. And Coraline's mother actually tells her when, <clears throat> when Coraline says she's so bored, she's like, oh, go count all the doors and all the windows. Exactly. And playing on what Mitt said, it's kind of that whole, the whole, like in the beginning of the movie, you're not actually sure if this world exists or if she was just dreaming the entire time. Actually, it could have just been a dream the entire time. You're not actually sure because her parent, when her parents come out, they're acting like nothing has happened. Like they just came in from a storm. You know what I mean? So it is that whole idea of sometimes you dream when you dream. It's almost like everything's normal, but something is messed up. Something is off. So that's kind of what's happening. And that's at least another difference there between the movie and the book, because um, the character of YB was created specifically for the movie. So it wasn't in the book. So in the movie, at the end, you're left with a character that experienced some of this with her, has seen some of it, can verify that it's true. But in the book, there isn't anybody else to verify that any of it actually happened. Right. What a wonderful addition. I love YB. I find him so adorable. I like him too. I was shocked to find out that YB was just created for the movie itself. I thought for sure that he was a character and I would expect to hear about him in the audiobook. I think the audiobook uh, is a little bit darker than the movie, actually. I agree. And I guess, okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit and kind of visit a couple of these ideas as we're discussing movies is looking again at the idea of art as communication. And so you're saying that you've got the sender and you've got the receiver, you've got the message itself and the medium that it's sent through. And I think all of those things play a part in whether or not something is or isn't horror. And so looking kind of at the intent of it, uh, one of the things that Neil Gaiman had to say, at least about the original story is he himself called it a solid work of horror fiction for children. And he was kind of talking about this where he um, he thinks it's important to, because the question that brought on that conversation was why write horror and ghost stories for children, or at least why tell those things to children, and him kind of going along, along with the idea that something that we've already said in previous episodes is that it gives us an opportunity to experience fear in a safe environment and in that way kind of helps us to better be able to cope with real fear when we experience it out in the wild and so that he has a lot of people that will come to him and say you know i read Coraline while i was growing up i was going through a tough situation I thought if Coraline can survive what she survived, I can survive this. Being brave doesn't mean you're not scared, as it says, you know, in the film there. It means that you're scared, but you still do what you need to anyway. And so at least there's a lot of things to unpack there from that, what he had to say. But at least his view of it is that, yes, he was writing a horror story for children and that it at least was intended that way. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching this was that I would have been terrified of it as a child. I would have been terrified of 
the ghosts, like the kids' ghosts, for example, because ghosts is a big fear for me. And then like the whole when she reveals herself, I definitely would have been scared of that when I was younger. And uh, so I thought that was evidence to me that it could be horror. But then also thinking about what I was scared of as a child, there are things those were things that weren't necessarily deemed horror now that I see them as an adult. So it's a little bit hard for me to fit this into a good snug category. I think it does go a long way to uh, calling it horror that that was the intent of it. Um, and the I think, like I kind of touched on, I think the way it was presented uh, is another way. Because they chose to do it in stop motion, because they chose to kind of go with a bit of a creepy motif for the whole thing. And even like some of the characters she comes across are just a little bit on the oddly grotesque side like Mr. Bobinski and the uh, the ladies underneath like they're just a little a little odd I think that goes a long way and then as far as how it's received like where it is meant to be received by children I th- I think it all that does play into that I do think it's horror I guess I still think like it doesn't necessarily have a lot darker themes than other children's movies but because of those other things because of how it's presented, because the intent was there, that's, I guess, what does make it horror for me. I think imagery plays a huge role in the movie of making it feel like horror. Just like we mentioned, the stop motion, how everything's just a little bit dark, everything's just a little bit grimy, definitely feels unsettling. Right from the beginning, when you see the hands of the other mother taking apart the little doll. I was immediately unsettled by that. Yeah, I I agree. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily any one moment that put it over the edge for me, but a lot of I feel like what made this horror for me is the implications behind a lot of the things that are happening and the fact that it doesn't... I think that it means for you to see and understand those implications even though the movie itself isn't necessarily dwelling into the nitty-gritty of it like you can imagine a world where this was made as a live action r-rated movie for adults where they actually show you let's show a child having buttons sewn in its eyes let's show uh you know them being killed let's show them being devoured all those things anything that is implied in this movie if you actually showed those things then you'd have no doubt that it was horror and that of course you wouldn't want to show it to children you'd just watch as an adult but i think that that's the thing that put it in that category for me is that it's implying all these things. It may not show you the end result, but it does expect you to think about it. And it does mean what it's implying. And so I feel like that makes it horror. And the intro is a great example of that because the visual of course is a doll being dissected and being having the insides removed and having something else put into it. And Ultimately, that is what the other mother is doing, right? She is dissecting these children. She is taking them apart. She's taking their soul. And at least my feeling from the implication of the film, especially when the areas go gray, when the souls are removed, is that she's using them to build up this trap. So 
the soul is the thing that's keeping it somewhat lit, that's keeping it colorful, that's keeping it existence. And each place where she plucks out the soul, then that element of the area dies until eventually you're just left with a white void and a web on top of it. So I saw an interesting take on sort of that idea of where she's, uh, the other mother's kind of using using these things she's getting. So the there's the three other children that we know of, two girls and one boy, that she's gotten, and she has the souls of them, um, but she also probably has their bodies. The thing that I saw this, this person suggest was that she used the bodies basically as puppets, and that's what the other father and the other uh, two ladies um, from down below, I forget their names now, uh, Spin- Spence or anyways, whatever their names are. Um, but and <laughs> then they, and they do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and they do have Bobinski in the other world as well, but as it turns out, he's just rats. Um, so. You know, it's just a, it was an interesting idea to me that like she's maybe using the bodies for her puppets. Interesting. I think that because of the combination of the whole aesthetic of the movie, the whole vibe of the movie in in combination with the overarching themes makes this horror. It deals with, you know, the fear of losing your parents, uh, the fear of losing the environment that you should be able to call safe. It involves not being able to trust what you think you know. Like, I think at the very core of this, Coraline isn't able to trust what she's seeing. She's not able to trust what she's tasting, you know. I think that that in combination with, um, you know, the spooky black cat creeping around and, you know, wandering to the edge of the pixelated world and, you know, what is life anyway? There's, she's, I think that Coraline's an existentialist, honestly, at the core of things. It's kind of like the Matrix, like red pill or blue pill. Like that, yeah. that was the, her yeah. Matrix moment. I also had a thought that maybe like the, um, oh God, this is a really old book. Um, has any, anyone ever read The Sentinel? I don't even remember who it's by. I think it was written in the 70s. Anyway, no, it also is in like this, oh, you really need to, it's good. Okay. And it's short, too. So that also involves an older, um, probably like Victorian era home or structure that is occupied by a mishmash of these different, bizarre, somehow unsettling folks. And this that this reminded me of that so very much. And as I was watching the movie and having this turnover in my head, I'm like, okay, what if we do an adult version and the house is actually purgatory? Like, what if these are all, like, there's darker elements to these characters? I don't know. And because I can see it going there, if I can watch a kid's movie and be like, okay, we could tweak this into an adult horror film, it's horror. Well, and so, okay, just this kind of a thing that I thought about while watching this is you get the idea, too, of this um, microcosm of reality, as you've already pointed out, and then being trapped in purgatory and it not having been Christmas all that long ago, I, of course, rewatched Krampus because that is a thing I do. And, of course, there's different Yay. interpretations of the ending. But, I mean, basically you get people trapped. Spoilers for that movie, by the way. Anyway, at the end of it, you basically have people that are trapped in a snow globe in a finite reality purgatory 
And it just kind of reminded me of similar things, especially with her parents being stuck in the snow globe. So I was just thinking, yeah, and there you have some of those same ideas. I don't know if they're inspired, you know, they were inspired in making Krampus by some of what happened in Coraline, but there's some of the same ideas there just showing up in an adult horror film. So a question on like the idea that you brought up, Brianna, of like if you can if you can tweak it slightly and make it uh, into a horror movie, like I guess going back a little bit to my like talking about like the movie Brave, I feel like without too many tweaks, if you if you say put that in stop motion and um, made everything a little more grotesque and did a few more of the like aesthetically things that this movie did, I feel like that could be horror. I guess our thoughts on that? Um No, because <laughs> the <laughs> No, just no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um Okay, but but why? Because like I mean it deals with witchcraft and mm-hmm. it's like she doesn't like what her mom's doing, so she mm-hmm. turns her mom into a really terrible creature. Mm-hmm. And you take that and put it in this weird, like, grotesque, like, setting, and then just, like, even, like, make a slight twist at the end of it and say she's not able to turn her mom back into her mom at the end. She, her mom is stuck as this creature that's running around killing everybody. I guess for me, like, that sounds very much like a horror movie to me. I am never going to be scared of a bear but I will always be scared of a giant spider. That's the simplest answer I can give. The more complicated and long-winded answer, which we don't have time for, is going to involve with Coraline. I could very easily tweak it into an adult horror film by changing one aspect and one aspect alone, and that's throwing gore in it. And I don't think I could do that with Brave. I think you would have to rework the story so much into a dark reimagining that it would not be the same. It would become the Black Cauldron, wherein when it would be a scary kids movie that's fantasy, but it's not horror. Okay, fair enough. You you know the 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 thing for me that I think if you just changed it slightly that would make this more convincingly horror to me. Not that I'm completely unconvinced that it isn't horror, but I think Coraline's reaction to the world around her and everything that's happening and her being almost fearless throughout the movie kind of makes it a little less horror for me. I think most of the time I'm not feeling any real fear coming from her because I don't think that she's actually afraid. Like the only part that she Mm. was more afraid about was like when her parents, when she couldn't find her parents. But I think that as the viewer with Coraline, whether or not she herself is scared in the moment, I think we as the viewers are always going like, Oh, that's a bad idea, girlfriend. Don't do that. True. But like, even with like when I was saying before about the other YB, like, I'm frightened by the idea that this other YB exists, but she thinks it's better and she's cool with it. And she's just living her best life in that moment. And to me, I feel Mm -hmm. like that that part is like if she had a little bit more fear, if she was a little bit more concerned for herself. But but that is kind of where it comes in being different 
being a children's movie because children mm-hmm. might not be scared in that situation right. where an adult would understand why, why they would be scared. Yeah. And that's why it's terrifying because as a child, she still thinks like, oh, this is my house. I found this cool door. They're feeding me all this great food. Woo! Like, of course, she's going to be okay with it. And I feel like she has to not be scared in order for the whole moral to set in. Right. Not all that glitters is gold and all that. The true horror is when Coraline realizes like, oh, shit, I done stepped in it, didn't I? (laughs) I guess it's a little bit like a Hansel and Gretel moment, right? Like, initially, they're just like, oh, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm eating candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're not Hansel. That is an Hansel excellent voice. Hansel impression. <laughs> He's actually doing an impression of the uh, lady from Austin Powers. Oh, I'm eating candy. I'm having fun. Oh. They're always after me, Lucky Charms. Why does everybody laugh when I say that? <laughs> See, and I thought it was the butterfly from uh, A Bug's Life. I am a beautiful butterfly. Just goes to show that I'm terrible at accents. <laughs> it's cool. It's quite all right. I live under a rock and don't get pop culture, so it's okay. <laughs> so uh, I have a random quote from Neil Gaiman that kind of applies to part of what we're talking about here, too. So he was talking about the book, but I think it's probably fair in terms of the movie as well. He's saying, it's so strange because I think adults have a lot more problems with this kind of story than children do. It's true for the book. It's always adults that say to me that they finish reading the book at three o'clock in the morning and go around the house turning on all the lights. I never get that from kids. And so anyway, I thought it was kind of an interesting quote just hearing that, but maybe it's part of the idea of... um, when you're younger, you have a tendency to just kind of accept the reality you're presented with. Whereas an adult, you have an idea of what reality should be and you try and like push it like it's the circle peg into the square hole to make it work. And that's a lot of where like our, I don't know, cognitive dissonance sets in. And a lot of where our real concern about things being scary is, is like, this does not fit with my experience. I need to quantify it. I need to put it into a specific category. And if I can't find a category, it really unnerves me. Whereas kids are just like, I haven't gotten to that point of categorizing everything. So if something doesn't fit, it's okay. At least that's my take on it. Creepy as hell. It's horror. One thing that I wanted to mention that I don't know where is a great place to really bring it up, but as like from the video game, from a video game perspective, I really feel like this movie has influenced a few different video games that I'm a big fan of. Uh, one of them being Resident Evil 7 and another being uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, which I don't think anybody here has played that one yet. Not yet. That's a fantastic title, though. I would play that just based on the title. I pick wine like that, too. <laughs> well, What <laughs> Remains of Edith Finch, to give like a short summary of that, is basically... This family has been plagued by death and this girl is the last remaining member of the family and she goes back to their family home and has to explore this kind of crazy house and find out all the ways that her family members passed away. So I highly recommend that game. It has a very similar aesthetic to Coraline. Uh, Anybody would love it. And then going to Resident Evil 7... If anybody's ever played that, huge spoilers for that game. 
But you're talking about this little girl who is creating this reality. She has this power to create the reality around her. And the main character is sort of a puppet to her as she's playing and creating this reality that the main character and other people are sort of stuck in. And you, as the main character, are going and sort of saving the souls of the people that have been trapped by this person. So it's kind of like, I really enjoyed that. And I also think there's sort of a, a horror trope and that idea of this spooky house that you're exploring and also freeing the souls of the damned, which kind of was what happened in Coraline also. One of the things I was thinking about, too, as you're bringing that up, and as we've kind of all talked about this, too, as well, is the idea of the uh, stop motion being unsettling. And I was trying to understand why that is to me versus other animation styles. And the only thing I can come up with, and you guys can tell me if you can think of more at the core of why you feel like that is, if you do feel like it's unsettling is that we're used to things moving smoothly and whenever anything has movement that feels wrong even if it's subtle we pick up on that and it feels a little bit uncomfortable so i kind of wonder if maybe the thing that makes stop motion a better medium for something like this to have it be a little unsettling is that imperfect movement that we stop thinking about but continue to notice throughout the experience i don't know what do you think YB's movement is very unsettling to me throughout the film. <laughs> the way he moves is very weird. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I, I find YB so cute. All of him, he's just adorable. He reminds me of the Hawaiian punch guy for some reason. Oh sure. my gosh. I see it. Like, you can see it, right? Yeah. The hair, the face. Y'all are weirdos. I don't know. The cat's my favorite true <laughs> Wuspus. but i think you're right steve because i also find myself unsettled by like a few scenes from the nightmare Bef the nightmare before christmas and of course corpse bride i love all those movies but there's just something unsettling about those movies too and i think it's because it the choppiness of the movements is just a little bit uncanny valley almost right but it's not quite right I definitely agree with that. Even like watching like Wallace and Gromit, it's still like just right. a little unnerving. And like Wallace and Gromit, I don't think usually is meant to be horror at all, but it's still got that little bit of like uncomfortable vibe to the background of it. It's really low key, but it's there, which is why I think stop motion is a great medium for lighter horror movies like this. It gives that tone throughout. Man, that explains why I was terrified of the movie Chicken Run as a child. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but that's awesome. <laughs> it's not scary at all. I just hate it. I just hate looking at it. It's just, <laughs> just uncomfortable because it's stop motion. It's the same creators as Wallace and Gromit. I was going to say, it's kind of like a horror trope that monsters and things that scare us automatically move differently, like in every zombie movie. The first time they notice a zombie, they notice it moving weirdly or like, you know, exorcist turning your head all the way around. Any kind of weird movement freaks us out. Anything that's like outside of the norm. Yeah, I was thinking like Jacob's Ladder too. just going along with what you said, like them sort of inhumanly shaking their heads in weird ways that you're like, people shouldn't move like that. Anyway, continue. 
Yeah, um, and then I was going to recommend also, if anybody hasn't seen it, the the movie Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, which is another stop-motion movie that has some very horror elements to it, and they really take advantage of the stop-motion kind of awkward movement to create fear, I think, in that movie. I think, too, the other thing that kind of comes to mind, at least with stop motion versus, say, if it was animated, either computer or hand-drawn, is that you end up with a sort of gritty texture to it that you don't get with the other styles. I think someone already kind of hit on that a little bit, but I guess it just felt worth pointing out again is, yeah, I think that there's also just a gritty texture to stop motion you don't get with other mediums. Another thing I wanted to kind of talk about, too, that I thought made this a little bit more horror-esque to me or that made it me decide it was horror is the idea of that there are other sentient creatures that existed with a will of their own that get left with the other mother. Yeah, she saves the kids, she saves her parents, but we established that YB, the other YB is his own person, his own he has his own feelings on things and the other father as well. He's basically apologizing for what he's doing. So he obviously doesn't like what he's doing, but he's being forced to do it. But both of them get left there and we don't even know what happens to YB. We just see an empty jacket where he once was. And of course the implication from the beginning scene is right. Maybe he was just taken apart because he was just a doll for her too. But yeah, they get left behind. There's no happy ending for those two. They're just gone. I also found myself asking what happened to the Coraline doll because we were led to believe that that doll was alive and sentient and sent there to watch Coraline. And then you don't really kind of see what happens to that, or do you? Maybe we do. I thought it got sucked down the tunnel when the door closed, or am I imagining that? No? I thought the doll went kind of like went back home to the other mother was what I thought happened in the movie. I didn't remember seeing it, but if you saw it, then I don't know if anybody else did. I could totally be making this up, but I will double check. You have to watch the sequel, Coraline 2, YB Strikes Back. YB Strikes Back. <laughs> it should be like YB's Revenge. It should be like, it should be all gore. It should be like hostile but stop motion. Oh my gosh. But it's <laughs> but it's the other it's other Wybie who doesn't talk. He just smiles. Yeah. The whole yeah. time while killing like, everyone. Yeah. Like Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things I wanted to bring up too is the idea of um again with the whole idea of like artist communication. So the receiver side of things, I thought it would be interesting to kind of see how different streaming services classify this movie and this might be something I'll bring up on future episodes as well. No streaming service that I found that mentions Coraline mentions horror along with it. You've got descriptors like dark fantasy, animation, family, action adventure, sci-fi, and that's looking at sources like um, Amazon, YouTube, Google Play, Redbox, Roku Channel, Netflix, um, and then looking at websites too like IMDb and Wikipedia that also were kind of classifying it that way. The only place that I saw where something classified it as horror is if you just search Coraline as a movie under Google, then it comes up as children's horror fantasy. But I thought that that was kind of interesting to see. I think that if... I feel like I believe you, number one, but also I think that that might have a lot to do with marketing because how many parents are going to mm -hmm. look at something that's approved for kids, you know, 
age eight and up and be like, oh, it's horror. Um, we're not going to do that before bed. That was kind of my thought, too. I wondered if that had something to do with it as well. Yeah, I have to say that's probably a marketing move. Are they even allowed to call children's movies horror? I mean, that feels like a bad idea to get kids to watch your movie. Hey, there is always Snoop and Martha's Halloween special, you guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yay. It all comes back to that. Everything comes around to that. <laughs> I can say as a parent, I have actually Googled the category children's horror because my son is interested in horror movies and things like that, but it probably isn't a common thing. I don't know. Maybe it is more common because I feel like a lot of the YouTube videos that are marketed towards my nine-year-old are like meant to scare and shock and things like that. So I don't know. And I saw a lot of lists as well when I searched through Google, just kind of looking for stuff on this that were lists of children's horror movies. And so this was one that was always on those lists, and it was along with things like Haunted Mansion or Casper or Frank and Weenie, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, I saw things like Beetlejuice, Hocus Pocus, Witches, Ghostbusters were all on a lot of those lists too. In case you wanted to know, I just Googled children's horror, and uh, one of the ones that came up was the Fred movie. So there's that. The Fred movie? Night of the Living Fred. Oh. Yeah, Fred 2. Yeah, Night of the Living Fred, so. I like it. It sounds terrifying, to be honest. TBH. But Coraline is one of the first ones that comes up when you Google that. I had actually, even before anybody talked about watching this, I had seen it on Netflix, like seen the little thumbnail on Netflix and saw that it was like a doll with button eyes and I never clicked it because of that because I was like, yeah, it looks a little creepy <laughs> because on my, my kids. <laughs> you were right. My kids suggestions list. I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks everyone for joining us at Is It Horror? Uh, we will be back in two weeks where we are going to be covering the only lovers left alive for Valentine's Day for the month of February. So haven't seen that one before, so hopefully that should be a fun one. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Bye. 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 Peace. Farewell. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes, or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter, on Instagram at Is It Horror Pod, or you can email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?